KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. Some fascinating survey results were released recently by the management consultant firm McKinsey & Company that looked at how Americans view economic opportunity these days, what they think about their own economic standing, how COVID affected their financial situation, and much, much more. We wanted to learn more about what was in the inaugural McKinsey American Opportunity Survey, so we spoke with one of the authors of the article put together based on the findings. Quaylen Ellengroot is a senior partner at McKinsey and Company. This is really interesting. Give a listen. So to start, just kind of an overview, what was the goal of this research, of this survey? What were you looking for? We were looking to understand how Americans are feeling as we recover and emerge from COVID-19, how they feel about job opportunities, how they feel about their race and identity, how they feel about the future, really. And so we surveyed 25,000 workers across the country, 18 years or older, and did deeper dives in a number of different cities. So Philadelphia was one of those, uh, or the Philly, Camden, Wilmington area, uh, and compared that to how others were feeling in other cities and then to the overall country at large. And what I'd like to do, you guys had 10 insights that the report is kind of broken down to. I just kind of like to go through them. The first insight is uh, it sounds like most Americans, the the overall outlook is not optimistic when it comes to economic opportunity. Absolutely, Matt. So most Americans don't feel like uh, they've got opportunities to find good jobs. Only 39% of the people um, in the Philadelphia area felt that most people have opportunities to find good jobs. And only 30%, even less, thought that people get pay that allows them to have a good quality of life. So overall, not feeling optimistic about the American dream, if you will. And most, or I guess many Americans believe that the second insight was that when it came to their career path, uh, it was in many cases hampered by identity? Absolutely. So both race, gender, age, in many cases, sexual orientation, uh, many people felt that those elements of their identity negatively impacted their job prospects, um, particularly kind of future job prospects. So 41% of Black respondents um, in Philly, a third of Asian Americans thought that race negatively impacted their future job prospects. And that was actually one percentage point higher in Philly than it was for the overall country average. Um, about 29% of women thought that being a woman in- negatively impacted their job prospects, a third of LGBTQ respondents. And interestingly, the highest percentage was over 60% of respondents, 55 to 64, thought that their age negatively hurt their job prospects. So across the board, elements of identity around race, sexual orientation and age and gender being real barriers. That being said, the third insight, immigrants and people of color, relative optimism. Yeah, that was a real uh, shining point. Immigrants were particularly optimistic about the future. And this may be, you know, because of their frame of reference or what their expectations are. Um, But they were more optimistic that the future over the next 12 months would get better in terms of job prospects. Um, Black workers were also quite optimistic. So black and first generation immigrants 
were among the highest in terms of optimism. We also saw a very interesting break at the around $50,000 of annual income mark. Those making less than $50,000 a year had a pretty negative look, um, outlook on economic opportunity and job prospects for the future. And those making over 50,000 had a much more positive outlook. And that in fact aligns with their experience over the last year. So many under 50,000 have lost pay, have struggled to pay for healthcare, struggled to pay for food in some cases, um, struggled to maintain stable housing while those in the 50 and above range um, have in some cases done even better than they had before, but certainly have had a more, on average, stable experience through COVID. The next couple of insights uh, specifically looked at COVID-19 and economic well-being. And no surprise, uh, the, the work you guys looked into, about about half of Americans reported being on the financial brink and uh that doesn't surprise me, given what the last 15 months have been. Absolutely. No, it's I think Americans broadly have been on the financial brink for a while. And, and COVID just made this a bit more challenging. Um, so 55 percent of the respondents in the Philly area could cover living expenses for more than two months if they lost their job. Um, the positive here is Philly respondents being able to cover their living expenses for two months or more was actually five percentage points higher than the national average. Overall, it's 50-50. In Philly, it was about 55% that could cover that. So that's encouraging, um, more than the national average. But only about 44% of Hispanics could cover that and 42% of Black respondents. Um, So lower for Blacks than the rest of the respondents, but also lower in Philly for Black and Hispanic respondents than the rest of the country. So some racial disparities there in terms of economic opportunity and and certainly perception of that opportunity. We also looked at uh, forms of debt, which we know um, in some pockets have really increased through the pandemic. Almost 70% of Hispanics had credit card debt um, compared to 50% of people overall. Uh, And almost half of Hispanics also had medical debt compared to about 27 or so percent overall. So a lot more credit card and medical debt for um, some groups in particular. The next insight, uh, once again, this doesn't surprise me, uh, the, the COVID pandemic exacerbating existing unequal ties, because one of the first things I heard, I did an interview about retail sales, and a gentleman said to me, all this pandemic does almost across the board is accelerate trends that were already in place. And right. I think, you know, this is right at the top as, of a shining example now. Absolutely. So those inequalities, whether they are by race, um, certainly by income, we've seen a a lot heavier impact, more negative impact for those making 50,000 or less or 40,000 or less, but also by race. So both Hispanics and Asian Americans were most frequent to say my income has decreased over the last year. And it was actually higher in Philly than for the rest of the country. So racial disparities kind of downward trajectory or or negative financial impact was worse for Hispanics and Asian Americans in Philly than the rest of the country. Um, And as we talked about earlier, just more debt um, overall. We also saw some really concerning challenges around stability of living situations, right? Uh, Do you feel like your living situation is secure? 
a quarter of respondents overall said, no, my living situation is much less secure or less secure than it was 12 months ago. Um, And in fact, over half of Hispanics, Latinos said, my living situation is not secure. 40% of first generation immigrants um, said the same. That's on housing. You know, we also looked at food spending, medical expenses, a really concerning over 30%, 31% said we had to actually cut back on spending on food or delay medical care over the last 12 months. So basic necessities, um, health and food were a real challenge overall. So that's 31% of people overall jumps to almost two thirds of Hispanics and over half of first generation immigrants and 41% of black respondents. So very um, fundamental day-to-day expenses were a challenge, certainly over the last 12 months. Uh, The rest of the insights deal with barriers that Americans believe kind of hamper getting a fair shot at a a fair piece of the pie. And uh, number six, healthcare access, uh, a, a big challenge. And this was just simply, this wasn't even paying for it. This was just getting what you need, correct? Yeah. So access to healthcare absolutely was a challenge. Affordable health insurance uh, was a real challenge. Uh, Three quarters of people overall feel like they can afford uh, necessary health insurance, but this was dropping down to about two thirds of Hispanic respondents. um, And that was lower in Philly for Hispanic respondents than overall in the country. We also see that, you know, other challenges, not just healthcare, but affordable financial services, getting the skills and training access were also um, a challenge and more so of a challenge for workers of color than others. Uh, Number seven, access to childcare. I think this is an under talked about situation that the pandemic kind of ripped the bandaid off of uh, that. You know, people didn't have childcare because of the pandemic. And we had a lot of people, specifically women, that had to leave the workforce. And childcare, when it is accessible, it's through the roof financially. So I'm not surprised to see that this is a, a big barrier. Absolutely. And just like healthcare, I think childcare and affordable quality childcare was another barrier to economic opportunity um, and access to that opportunity. Only less than half of women with children said that they could afford childcare. Um, interestingly, three quarters of men with children said that they could. But this is a real barrier. And as you described, in the pandemic, we've seen uh, a lot more women exit the workforce than men. So in September, for example, 1.1 million people in the U.S. left the workforce or were fired. In a workforce that's almost 50-50, 80% of them in September were women. And that's largely because that coincided with the return to school in largely a remote um, and virtual schooling environment. And many mothers stayed back to help, you know, one or more kids do that digital learning. And so we have seen, especially with school, finding reliable childcare uh, and affordable childcare being a real barrier there. We hear so much about the political divide when it comes to the cities and rural America. And the next barrier Mm -hmm. is you found that rural America at risk of being left behind economically just because everything seems to flow out to the cities. Yeah. And we may start to see some of these trends shifting as remote work is more. uh, My next question. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think some of these trends may shift, uh, particularly also as broadband is more accessible remotely and, and real access to both training and jobs. Um, but, you know, rural America is 60 million people across the country. It's one in five Americans. And fewer rural Americans are willing to move for work than others, right? About half, one in five rural Americans are willing to move for work um, compared to almost two in five uh, for the urban settings like in Philly. They're also less interested um, in training. About a third, almost a third of rural Americans are interested in training, upskilling opportunities, but they're more likely to view their own identity as a barrier to wanting to take advantage of that reskilling. So I think making sure that as we look ahead to an inclusive economic recovery, we're including rural America, reskilling access to jobs without necessarily needing to be there in person. I think that will really help have a much more inclusive, less divided urban rural split. The next insight I find fascinating, contract freelance, temp workers, Mm -hmm. uh, overwhelmingly prefer permanent employment. And I feel like the narrative that has been woven over the last few years for the quote unquote gig economy is one of freedom and you work when you want. And, uh, but it would seem the data that you have found here kind of goes against what is the, the given narrative of the, of the time. So, you know, gig workers or, um, Temporary freelance contract workers broadly were about 27% of the 25,000 people that we surveyed. Um, so a bit higher than, frankly, we were expecting, but that I think also has to, uh, is reflected in the broader pandemic and what we saw there. Um, to your point, 58% of them wanted to find permanent insurance, a permanent job. And actually a lot of that was connected to a desire to afford health insurance. Uh, they were two times more likely to say, I cannot afford health insurance right now. And that may, may be connected to the benefits and finding a permanent employment position. We also find that contract workers are more likely to be um, Hispanic, for example, uh, or first generation immigrants who may view this as an initial job, a stepping stone, and then find reskilling or retraining opportunities to find a more permanent position down the road. And the final insight, four in 10 Americans enrolled in training or interested in pursuing it. And when you say training, is this uh, for for a trade, for a skill? Absolutely. This could be a very short-term targeted training program, uh, a certificate in programming or whatever it might be, or it could be a a longer-term training program. Um, But that was a very encouraging piece. You know, we've done broader research around the impact of both automation and COVID-19 on jobs. And what we see across the country is that 17 million workers in the United States are going to either need to change occupations completely or reskill, retrain, upskill to find another job. And so that's a significant amount of displacement over the next 10 years through 2030. The great news, though, is Many people are interested in reskilling, upskilling, and going through that experience of training programs to find better jobs and make that match. So a lot of interest uh, in training, especially across first-generation immigrants. Uh, Two-thirds of them were very eager to take advantage of training programs. Um, Almost 60% of um, Hispanic Latino respondents and over half of Black respondents. So lots of energy and interest. Almost 40% of respondents said 
the reason I can't right now is because cost is a real factor. And so as we make that more affordable, as digital makes this more accessible for a broader group to take advantage of training programs, I think what we'll see is a huge wave of reskilling over the next five to 10 years. And I'm interested overall, because I feel like a lot of what we talked about and you you talked about the the working from home and how that could shift the the discussion with regards to rural America. When you we kind of tick through all these ideas, we're going to see this expanded child tax credit kick in over the next mm-hmm. few weeks, you know, $250, $300 per kid for family, uh, depending on your situation. But pretty much anyone that got stimulus is going to be eligible for this. It mm-hmm. seems to me that could be a real game changer for the way people feel about a lot of these things we discussed. Am I giving it too much credence or this really could be significant? And I don't feel like people appreciate the sea change this could provide for a lot of people and a lot of families. I think it's a great step in the right direction, right? It will help affordability of childcare. care. Um, it will help defray some of the credit card debt, other debt, lack of stable housing challenges, lack of access to health care and health insurance that we were talking about. Um, but that alone, that, sm- that payment or even some of the other stimulus payments, uh, higher unemployment payments, they will all help and, and help move us in the right direction. But keep in mind this survey and this lack of optimism was already after a number of pretty large personal stimulus checks. And this was still reflecting a lot of debt, a lot of challenge, a lot of lack of optimism for the future, except in small pockets. So I think this will be a a longer term challenge. What we've seen overall is that the economy GDP wise has actually recovered largely in the United States, but job wise, we have not yet recovered. And jobs are going to take until 2023, another two years, to fully recover to pre-pandemic levels. And so that challenge of economically we've recovered, the jobs are going to take a little bit longer. You know, we often hear, if we think back to 2008 and the financial crisis, if we think back to 2001 and the internet bubble, we often hear about a jobless recovery. And every time it's taken the United States longer and longer to rebuild the jobs that we lose in economic downturns. I think this time will be no different. And in fact, because of the acceleration of automation affecting a much broader set of jobs and the impact of COVID-19 affecting jobs that have a lot of interpersonal interaction, I think this time may take us um, just as long, frankly, if, if not longer to rebuild those jobs. So taking a look over the next two years of how do we rebuild those jobs quickly, but also in an inclusive way, right? It, by race, by gender, by age, by income, by wage, uh, and make sure that we we have a truly inclusive economic recovery. And my final question, understanding that talk is one thing and action is another, do you mm-hmm. feel we are at least having the right discussions, the right uh, policy talks to really help address a lot of these situations? I mean, the American Rescue Plan, I think, will help a- you know, on a significant, we talked about the tax credit, but a lot of this goes past just one sweeping piece of legislation. Are we having the right serious discussions? Absolutely. I think federal government, state government, even local government are collaborating deeply, are talking about the right issues and taking action. I also think there's an important role here for companies to play. 
in thinking about how do they retain workers, better support workers through this time? Uh, how do they, as they rehire and rebuild jobs, take an inclusive lens to the job growth that they're creating and the retention there? And then I think also individuals, each of us have an important role to play in taking advantage of the training and reskilling opportunities, jumping back into the workforce, supporting colleagues, family members, right, who are having some of these challenges. Um, I think there's a lot of different roles that both companies and individuals can play to accelerate some of this recovery, both individually for each of us, but also at the overall company level. And I know I said that was last question, but my real, real last question, is this something you guys plan to follow up on? Like, will there be, you know, reports down the line? Is this something you guys do on the regular uh, just to kind of monitor the the progress and the directions? This is the very first time we've done it. And we are very much looking forward to making this a longitudinal survey to understand how does sentiment shift to your point earlier? How do different stimulus checks or different, you know, experiences by industry, by occupation, by geography, change some of this economic opportunity and outlook for the future. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.